0: turn to James chapter 1 and the last couple of uh, messages on this subject, which is titled Money and You. Whether anybody wants to admit it or not, money plays a significant role in your life. It can work for you. It can work against you. It can be the source of a blessing in your life. It can be the reason for a curse in your life. And you'll have to Learn to deal with money all the days of your life. I doubt if there'll be a time or a season in your life that money won't be required in some way for you to function. The Bible has a way that Christians deal with money and how they are in charge and a right way, and then there's a wrong way, as you can see very clearly in the world. So much stress and so much woe and so many downtrodden, disappointed, irritated angry people, and it usually goes back to the role that money is playing in their life. And they get themselves in debt, and then they want to blame somebody when they can't meet their payments, and now they can't do this and can't do that because of money. So we want to make sure that as Christians, especially you younger folks that are now at the age of paying attention, that you learn the right way about how to walk with God financially and, and how to deal with your money in a way that God opens the door of blessing to you. Now, we started with Ecclesiastes 5. It has said that it's God who gives riches and wealth. And that dimension of riches and wealth is defined by a lot of people in different ways. However you define it, it's a good thing. And he said that this is what God gives it's called this is the gift of God in Ecclesiastes 5. Now in James chapter 1, only quoted this last week, but he said, if any man lacks wisdom or anything from God, like he said, ask God. And God gives to all men, and then he mentions the word liberally. And you need to admit to yourself if you are struggling with this that that's the kind of giving that God does. He gives liberally. He says, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. There's no disappointments in the promises of God. And when God promises that he'll do this or he'll do that, then he will do this or he will do that. Nobody else has been able to say they have the windows of heaven to pour out a blessing upon you. He can do that. Or speaking of Jesus, we quoted it last time. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. And again, heaven is not a place of disappointment and poverty. It's the gold city, the streets of gold and all of that. First of all, we realize that God is the source. He's our source, not banks, not inheritances or... Lottery luck, we're not talking about any of that stuff. We're talking about the fact that God is our source. Ask and you shall receive. Ask God, and he said you shall receive liberally. I think that's the kind of life that you should have anyway. Now, we ended the last time talking about giving. Because as a Christian, at some point in your Christian life, you keep going to church, you keep reading your Bible, you'll come across it. And it'll be a challenge to people that have never given, or people that have always had excuses for not giving, or what they would call pretty good reasons for not giving, or not giving like maybe they should. We like our excuses, and we like the reasons that we don't give, but the Bible speaks about it quite a bit. In fact, I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Six through eight. And there's a principle here that should guide you in your giving. This is what he said. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, the apostle Paul is making an appeal to the Corinthian church for funds or money to support another church, another needy group of Christians. This other group can't help themselves. Paul has told this other church about the Corinthians, and about how liberal and generous they are, and they're doing pretty good. He said, Now, you know, these Corinthians will help you all. So he's going back now to the Corinthian church to remind them, because they had once said, Well, we'd like to help those people. So now their opportunity, and he uses chapters eight and nine talking about giving. And again, it's a sensitive subject in the church because some people outside the church think this is all we ever talk about because it seemed like that old phrase poorer than a church mouse is so true in a lot of people's thinking. Well, we're not poor. As he said, it's not a sin to be poor. There's a lot of verses in the Bible in which being poor is not condemned. There's something better. But for some, they haven't heard that, don't know that, and on and on and on. But this is what he said. He said in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6, but this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. The decision on giving is yours. The decision on how much you want to give is yours. It is solely between you and God, and it will affect whoever we're talking about that's going to receive the giving. Now, this is how you give. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And know this, those who make excuses, well, we can't afford to give. He said, God is able to make all grace Verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound toward you. Now, he alone can do this. Nobody else in existence can do this. And this promise is not made to anybody and everybody, it is made to Christians. He said, God is able to make all grace abound toward you so that you always having all sufficiency in all things. And I'm not going to add to it, except it could include doing the work that God wants you to do that you don't think you can do, but he would like for you to do. Think about it. That you may abound to every good work. And that's what your Bible says. It should say something like that. That you having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. So giving is a big deal. Giving in a generous way is a big deal. Giving in a stingy way is a big deal because the way we give, it's like Jesus said, as you meet it out, as you measure it out, God will measure it back to you. If you don't want to give to others who you feel like they have a need and you could probably help them, but I can't do it, Neither will he do you. But if you have a generous heart, you're willing to cast your bread upon the waters, God will make it come back. As you give, so shall you receive. I think that's fair. But it's up to you to demonstrate how you want God to relate to you in this area. Another part about giving is that the Christian asks, who do I give to? I mean, there's so many outlets If you just started giving to wherever every need you saw, you wouldn't have any money left. So to whom do I give? How much do I give? And is giving just a tithe? I mean, if I give a tithe of my paycheck, if I give a tenth, am I done? Is that all that's required? Is tithing a New Testament practice? Should New Testament believers tithe? These are questions that not all Christians can answer. All Christians have opinions, but I don't know that they can all answer those as they should. So let's begin with the many-answered question, to whom do we give? Here we are, we're Christians. Most of you are working well, and you're doing all right, and God's sustaining you and blessing you and keeping you, and you may have a little extra. And so you say, Arthur, then to whom as a Christian, as one of God's sources for giving to help people, who do I give to? And one of the first ones, the first answers to that, and there are many of them, is to the needy, those that have need, whether they be poor people or people that are in a temporary bind, the car broke down, Something happened here, uh, got temporarily laid off or something. I mean, people that are in a little bit of a bind and, and having a struggle, hard time getting by. They have needs. Their life doesn't stop because the car broke down. They have to keep going. So there's some things going on. So what do we do? In verse 1 of Second Corinthians 9, he said, For his touching, the ministering to the saints... It is superfluous, really the word means unnecessary. It's unnecessary for me to write to you for I know the forwardness of your mind for which I boast of you to them in Macedonia. And he is complimenting the Corinthians here. They have demonstrated apparently before that they were giving people and that they were, the word forwardness means that they were willing. They wanted to give. Obviously they had enough extra to give. And verse 5, he said, So I thought it was necessary that before I came to see you, that you would urge your brethren that I'm going to send before you to take up the collection before we get there. And then he goes to our text. He said, Now, in case you're thinking, well, you know, we're just now getting our head above water, and we're just now seeing some, some of the sunset back there. We'd like to kind of have a few things ourselves. He said, Look, as you sow, you reap. Whatever's in your heart was going to come out, and one of the ways is in your pocketbook. For, you know, a man's treasure is where his wallet is. I mean, uh, a man's treasure is where his heart is. This is one of life's little tests, one of those kind of things as you're walking the Christian life, seeking all the joy and the exuberance of it all, that God says, now, this is part of your life also. Life is not all about you and your toys and your opportunities and what you want to do. Because as you begin to expand your vision, you look out, you're going to see a lot of people that have needs. A lot of people. You'll not only see them in the church, but you'll also hear about it from your brethren, maybe as we heard tonight in other places, genuinely right, sincere people who have a need. Now, they don't have many opportunities at all to get those needs met, but you can. And so he says, if they have needs, then perhaps you want to meet them. You want to be a part of relieving the uh, afflicted and those that are hurting. Look at verse 13. This is what happens when you do give to people that have needs. This is the response that comes. Let me read it in another translation. He said, this service shows what you are. It makes men praise God for your fidelity to Christ whom you confess and for the generosity of your contributions to themselves and to all. People have heard about how generous you are. Your generosity comes to help relieve their needs, and who gets praised for it? When it's done the right way, God gets praised. They say, praise the Lord. You say it all the time. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord because he is our source. And giving does that. Especially when they don't know who specifically gave. About the best somebody could do if we gave to a group somewhere and we gave it as a church, they would know which one of us to thank. So they just thank the whole bunch of us. But they're thanking God for being relieved and for being helped of of their financial burdens or their financial needs. So there's always going to be people in the church that have needs. We have people here that have needs. And as long as I've been here, for the last hundred years that I've been here, it seems like any time there was a serious need in this church that people just rose up and met it. I mean, I've seen several thousand dollars collected, not so much asked for, but just people out of the generosity of their heart. Wanted to help one of you get out of a hole. They wouldn't want to be in that hole. They kind of consider, you know, you... You do unto others as you want others to do unto you. And if I was hurting like that, even though I'm trying, and somebody wanted to help me, I, man, I praise the Lord for that. Well, see, that's a kind of an attitude that prompts giving, the right kind of giving. You want to do it not only to help other people, because you care about other people. John, in First John 3, he said, Whoso has this world's good... And sees a brother in a need. If he shuts up his compassions, his heart of compassion from that person, the question he asks is, how does the love of God dwell in that person? And we realize pretty soon in this study that true giving, true biblical giving is prompted by the love of God. You want to help somebody. You really do want to see some relief come and some joy come into somebody's life because you've been relieved and you have joy in your life and you want them to share that. This is a Christian heart. This is a Christian attitude. It's not well, how much they want now. It's not that. You're not the one that ought to be given anyway. But it's those people who really care, who really want to see some, some things done for those that are hurting. Take the poor. Now, again, there's people that are hurting. We get envelopes in the mail. People take little envelopes and write a name on there for somebody in the church, and I call it the mail room, and it comes in the offering. I just put it in a little slot and have somebody come out here and tell somebody, you've got mail. I don't know where it came from, and they say to me most of the time, "Hey, well, thank you, and I said, I'm the wrong one. Maybe I'm not, but I might be the wrong one to thank here. I'm just a mailman. But I know that people here are thinking about people here and that people here care about people here. We don't make our needs known. Nobody stands up and says, okay, I'm next on that mail list back there because I've got a bunch of needs. We don't need to do that. You take all those kind of prayer requests to God. God lays it on people's hearts. The ones he wants to help you, he puts it on their hearts to help you. And whenever they do, you can be sure that they did it because they really do care about you. You take the poor in this world. There's a lot of poor people in the world. I want you to look just for a minute at Deuteronomy chapter 15 and verse 11 concerning the poor. And there's so much in the Bible. We couldn't possibly look at all of these or even part of them tonight and make a comment on them. But he said this in Deuteronomy chapter 15... And verse 11, for the poor shall never cease out of the land. They're going to be here. Now, who's poor? Well, we mentioned there's three categories of of life. One, there is a level of poverty, being poor, in which you're always deficient. You never have enough. Didn't say you don't have anything. You just don't have enough. You can't do what you ought to be able to do. You just don't have it. Then there is sufficiency, in which you have enough to make it through life. You have enough for yourself and your needs. Then there is abundance, in which you have enough not only for your needs, but you have some extra for somebody else. Now, the extra may, for some people, be hugely extra. And for others, it's just more than I've got. A man who has more than enough, and he can help somebody else, he's living the abundant life if his heart's in all of this. It doesn't take a lot of money for you to have abundance. Amen. It doesn't take a lot of money for you to be happy either because money is not a good source for happiness at all. Like I said the other day about the people in the past that have won the lottery, that have won the millions of dollars, and how 65% of them have filed for bankruptcy. Money just has a way of twisting and distorting everything. I think the Bible calls it the deceitfulness of riches. Have pierced many people through with a lot of sorrows because they saw money as their source. Money became a God. They live for it. They'll do most anything to get it. Women will sell their bodies today for money. People will kill other people for money. And money's only temporary, it does you no good unless you spend it. And when you spin it, it's gone. And to think that people will sell their lives for a moment. Just sell their whole body. And all the time they're doing that, God is willing to open the windows of heaven and bless his people. And you don't have to kill anybody except yourself on a cross. You don't have to hurt anybody, hurt anything. Just live his way. And he'll bless you when you go out. He'll bless you when you come in. God said he would bless everything you put your hands to. Isn't that good? And while all of this is going on, he said he would make in you a holy people. You'll get your eyes off of material things and off of the world's stuff. Begin to get your eyes on the Lord and other people. And you begin to see outside of yourself or outside of your little box. And You begin to be a source that God can use to bless And aid and help other people. But he said the poor will always be with you in the land. And sometimes those poor come into your life. And these are the ones that you're prompted by the Lord to help. Another one is Psalm 41. Would you go over to Psalm 41? What a wonderful promise is in Psalm 41 especially if you're ailing in some way physically. What a passage of Scripture. I don't know how many people would believe it, but it's in here whether they believe it or not. Like the fellow said, well, I don't know if I believe it or not. Well, it won't work for you. But it's in there. Blessed is he that considereth whom? Verse one. Blessed is that person in this room, out of this room, in history, those that are coming yet, your children. Blessed is whoever... Will consider the poor. This is what he says The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble, which means in life you're going to have trouble. Amen? But you don't need to be afraid of the trouble that's coming because God promises here he will deliver you from it if. If what? By considering the poor. Verse two, the Lord, this is what the Lord will do. The Lord will preserve you. The Lord will keep you alive. You shall be blessed upon the earth and God will not deliver him and his enemies. Ooh, verse three, let's get a hold of this one. The Lord will strengthen. The Lord will strengthen or there's that word energize. The Lord will strengthen him upon the bed of languishing. That's the word is for sickness. And then he finishes that verse by saying, what? The Lord will make all His bed in His sickness." Now there's people that say, "Well, I know a lot of sick people that didn't get healed. You've got to go back to verse one. That's the condition, considering the poor. We can say, well, I'm sure they consider the poor. Well, we could say that about anybody. But how do you know? It's personal. It's between you and the Lord. For God says, when you look at the poor, you help the poor. He says in the book of Proverbs, you lend to the Lord. And the Lord will pay you back with interest. It doesn't say interest in the Bible. But he that pities the poor, he said, lends to the Lord. That's Proverbs 19 and verse 17. He that hath pity on the poor lendeth to the Lord. And he said, and the Lord, whatever you've given, the Lord will pay you back. Listen, you never lose when it comes to giving. And for a lot of people, I don't know how many of you here this applies to, but it might be some, but you're going to have to learn to give in this life as a Christian to give, to take of what is yours in your control, in your power and give it to somebody else because that's one of the reasons God releases us from bondage and from things that hold us back. I'm not going to give a testimony. I've given it all the time, but I can tell you that through the many years of my past, back when we first learned how to give or the principle of giving, I remember the thoughts, that all sounds good, but I don't, I, I, I don't have that. I just don't have that kind of, I can't. I can't do that. Like, in those days, it was tithing. I can't give a tenth of my income. I had all these reasons. Now, I didn't believe that, but God is able to make all grace abound towards you, which was an encouragement to give. And quit counting your money. Just look at the word and count the blessing. Oh, I don't know about that. See, I had a faith problem. I had a trusting in God problem. And because I trusted more in myself and what I'm doing and not in God and what he promised, you just lived a You just learned how to live languishing. You just kind of learn how to give griping and complaining. Yeah, well, I wish I had his and his, you know, until one day you learned to give. You stretched yourself out there and you gave. You blessed somebody or you blessed it with us, my kids, my boys, Send money to orphanage. Now, I didn't know when I sent that money to support that little child whose picture I had. You know, of the dollar I spent per dollar, I mean, like 90% of it goes to advertising, those picture, full page magazine spreads, and the phone lines and the mailing out. You know, maybe 10% of it got to the orphan. But see, my heart was right. I learned later, and then I, I quit giving to that group. Because I thought, I don't want to give 90 cents out of every dollar I give to advertisements for an orphanage somewhere. God bless the orphanage. But I'd rather give it all the way to that orphanage, and I have no way to do that. That's why I like what Paul said. You know, there's a possibility that every dime you put into this thing can go to the source of the need. No advertisement, no postage, just money goes directly to the need. I like that because I've seen too much commercialism and giving about all that other stuff. The way a lot of people manage money and do all that. But God said he would heal us, deliver us. He said he would raise you up off the bed of languishing, sickness. I would like to say this. Nobody needs to be laying on a bed of languishing. That we have a promise. As I say, it's a promise. I take Psalm 41 as a promise that he will heal, that will make all his bed in his sickness. There's not a soul in this room that hadn't known sickness of some sort. Some of us way more than others. I more than most of you, less than some of you. I didn't know this promise. Nobody ever taught me that. I never saw that growing up. No Sunday school teacher ever mentioned that to me because the people that wrote the quarterly the Sunday school teacher spoke of didn't know it was in there either. It's too good to be true, so don't print it. People might believe it and be disappointed. That's how they've left us hanging for centuries in the church. They were afraid we were going to believe something that might not work, so therefore let's don't get their hopes up for them to fail. Then they'd be so disappointed. Gosh. Folks, we knew disappointment before we ever came to the Lord. Disappointment's not something we don't know anything about. It's a blessing we don't know anything about. It's the goodness of God that's lacking in our thinking, and yet God is showing us just little by little how we can have those things that God wants to give to us, how we can be blessed. The second thing, not only the needy and the poor, but as we heard tonight about missionaries. There's a lot in the Bible about missionary work. In fact, Second Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 I mentioned a while ago is mostly about missionary work except that it was a church down the road in macedonia from where corinth was and paul had been to all these places he made it a point to go he was an apostle he went to places he preached the gospel he familiarized himself with the people he wasn't off limits he didn't just appear and then disappear so you couldn't talk to him he was there you could know him and he would know the people. He would know their ways. He would know their problems. He would know what was wrong with situations. That's what First Corinthians was about. And he would write in here how you can get all of this fixed. But he could report back to somebody like in Corinth. He said, now those folks down there in Macedonia, they're really poor. Now they're good-hearted. They would like to do better than they are with helping other people, but they can't hardly help themselves. I'll tell you one thing every foreign field, and one teaching is lacked in every one of them, is giving. They've learned to get. We sin and give, and we give, and they give. And when Americans come, oh, we're going to get something. You can't ask them for anything. Well, why not? What did the widow give? Two little coins? What's the value of the widow's might? That was the smallest amount I guess there was to give, a mite. She gave two of them. You know what Jesus said? Jesus sat by the treasure. I mean, he sat where they put their money. How would you like to walk by that and put your money in And he's watching. He looks at your face and looks at what you put in there. And And here comes a little widow in, and she drops her two mites. He says, this lady here, see her? She's given more than anybody in here. She gave out of her need. She couldn't afford to give anything, but she gave because something in her heart urged her on, and she did. Do you suppose that God intended to bless that woman? But it was not on how much she gave. It was the fact that she gave what she had with a heart that was apparently right before God. She was blessed. Do you suppose God could take two mites, given from somebody who really wants to help somebody and relieve somebody's troubles and pressure somewhere? Do you suppose God could take two little mites and make it. I don't know what a mega mite is, but big, a big mite. Sure, He could. It is amazing. You could put a dollar in; God can turn it out to be a thousand dollars somewhere. Well, how would He do that? I don't know. I don't work miracles. He does. He could take a little cruise of oil. Remember that prophet said, take what you got left. She said, I'm going to make a cake and give it to my son and we're going to die. He said, make it for me first. And she did. And every time she'd go in that kitchen, that little cruise of oil was still there. She poured it out. She poured it out. She poured it out. She poured it out. And it sustained her. Because God can do that. Tell them all to sit down in companies of 50. We're going to feed them. Lord, uh, how are we going to feed them? Jesus said, you got anything to eat? Some of them knew that I was going to preach a long time, so they brought a sackcloth with them. He said, well, how much you got in there? You got two or three fishes and three or four loaves. So that's good. He blessed it and broke it and gave it to his disciples. He kept breaking it, kept giving it, kept breaking and giving and breaking and giving and breaking and giving and breaking and giving. And, and, giving. and somebody had to watch this because there's no limit to what God can do with whatever amount is given. He could have done it without the sack lunch. He could have done it without fishes and loaves. He could have just said, thank you, Father, under my hand are the fishes and the loaves and there they are but he uses people. He asks people for something. Give me something. Let me make out of your something, something wonderful. And I believe that's what giving does. And that's what releases us from this tightness and stinginess and grouchiness about money, is that we learn how to give. We don't want to be emotionally controlled by it. You know, somebody comes in and puts a picture of a little child with a tear in his eye. (laughs) Oh, how much you want? How much you want? There should be a lot of wisdom in giving. You know, God doesn't want so much emotion as he does a cheerful giver. When you know you're supposed to give, when you know it's the will of God for you in this situation to give to that, then it should be a cheerful thing. I just praise God for the opportunity to put whatever amount that I can afford to give here for somebody else. And I ask you, God, to bless this amount for somebody else. And he can do that, can't he? Right. Oh, he certainly can. It's just we need occasionally to be stirred up to give because giving is one of the answers to our financial needs in this world. Turn to Luke 6. Luke chapter 6 and verse 38. This is a giving verse. It'd be good for you to memorize this, a memory verse. In Luke 6, Jesus said, in verse 38, he says, Give, give, give and what? Give and it shall be given unto you. That's where you go out and it comes back, give. And it shall be given unto you. How? Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Now, that's the way God sees how he wants to respond to you. Now, how you respond to others, that's your business. Because the way you measure it out, does he go ahead and say that in Luke 6, 38? As you meet it out, it'll be meted back. Well, see, it's up to you now. He just simply says, this is what I want you to do. I want all of you in Shelbyville Christian simply, all you that watch, everybody here, I want you all to make up your mind wherever you are with what you're able to start with. I want to be a giver. I want to be one of those people that gives. I want to be able to give and give cheerfully. I don't want to think, boy, if I give, maybe I'll get well I'm I don't want you to start thinking that way. That's greed and covetousness. I just want you to give because there's a need. And you want to see a greater need met, you give a little more. Not because God's going to, whoo, you're going to get 100 back for one. No. You give because there's a need. You want to relieve needs. You want to see people blessed and come out of that hole they They're in or they got themselves in. Maybe their ancestors got them in that hole. But you want to teach them to get out of that. You know, to get on this other subject for just a moment, when you do go to another country, especially if it's uh, maybe one of the Hispanic countries, it could be Africa. I know when I was in India, I implied this. You've got to learn, if you want to get out of a poverty-stricken situation, you've been thrust into this from your ancestors. You probably, if you knew what God knew, you've never given anybody much of anything in your life. And then you resorted to stealing and lying and cheating to get what you could have been given. And consequently, you got brought a curse on yourself, on your country and on your families. If you want to get out of that, if you want God to rebuke the devourer for you, then you're going to have to give. If you collected an offering, if I went down to some country and I taught on giving and I asked him to give and I collect an offering and it was how many pesos to $1.42? There were 40 pesos in there with 80 people. I'd offer that to the Lord, ask God to bless that and then I'd give it to the preacher. I don't want it but I want them to give it. Didn't Paul say, I seek not your gift? He said, I've learned how to be with and without. I've learned to do with it and without it. I'm not controlled by money. My life or enthusiasm is not money-based. What I seek is not your gift, but the fruit that abounds to your account. God's keeping records. I want you to have your life in such a way that you're keeping the doors open in your life to, to getting out of debt and to being liberated from the bondage of money and I, I want you to come to a place where you're free and you do this by giving would you agree that in some cases to giving to some people to help relieve them who are just the least of people would be like giving to the Lord Jesus said as you have done this to the least of these you have done it unto me done what a drink of water how about a drink of cool water just to see somebody not be thirsty it's that giving spirit god so loved the world that he gave it's your father's good pleasure jesus said to give you the kingdom grace the word grace is all about giving it's something that God does for people like us who don't deserve it. He gives it to us because he wants to. And he tells us, if you'll do this or you'll do this, this is what's going to happen to you. I do believe in accountability. I do believe when Paul sent men to these places to collect certain offerings, I believe there was probably two of them. Money's a temptation. You can talk about how honest you are all a day, day long. When you got four or $5,000 in your pocket in small bills and nobody knows how much is in your pocket but you, they wouldn't know if a handful of them were gone, would they? But if there's two of you there and they count them, nobody's going to get by with anything. It's not your money, it's the Lord's money. If we make an appeal to help, poor people in a certain place and want you to give for their sakes and to help them, all that money belongs to them. Anybody keeps any of that for his own gain or go, I think he's under a curse. That money's theirs. That money belongs to them and that's where it's supposed to go. But now that doesn't mean if we send people to some country that they have to every evening come in and say, all right, boys, how much you spend today? The they don't have to, all right, how much you got left? Turn to 2 Kings. I want you to see this. 2 Kings chapter 22 and verse 7. This is in the reign of Josiah. The temple was lying in ruins. There was no worship. There was no word coming to the people. It was just a mess. Josiah saw that as a boy, a young fellow, and he said, no, we're going to fix that. He had a heart for that. And the people began to give. And he said, Howbeit, verse 7 there was no reckoning made with them of the money that was delivered into their hand because what? They dealt faithfully. I know the last time we sent, I think it was Paul on a trip, folks gave a lot of money. I told him, I said, you're going to have needs for yourself. You're going to need somewhere, an airport to eat. You're going to probably need to get groceries or stuff like that. You do that, but you don't have to come back and tell me what you did with all that money. I trust you. That's the way it's got to be. You know, the reason the church got institutionalized or became a corporation because we don't trust each other. We don't want anybody taking over. So we organize ourselves like the world organizes itself. That way we got checks and balances in here to keep somebody from taking over because we don't believe in each other, don't trust each other. Not that sometimes people shouldn't give an account. But when you send people out with a lot of money, and we will, but I know that when people leave here to go on a missionary trip, it's not our obligation to pay their way. If you feel led to go, it's your opportunity. It's your business. Now, here's what we will do. If we believe in what you're doing is inspired, then if anybody wants to help you or help your expenses, we'll be glad to help you. Pay for your ticket, pay for your room, whatever. We don't want you to be burdened because you're going to miss a week of work before you, you know, when you leave. You're gone a week, you miss that week. And you come back from the trip, you're going to have to work another week to get paid. So you got two weeks without any money. What are you going to do? Well, I know that. I see that. I think, well, maybe one of the things that could be done is if those who are interested, if you believe it's the Lord, if it sounds right, looks right, okay. Then those of us who do, we can always put something in the pot. They can divvy it up amongst them to help pay those expenses. At least. Maybe our money's going for an airplane ticket, but the reason they're getting in an airplane is to go help somebody that can't help themselves especially the idea of preaching every night. Now, see, that appeals to me. I bet you my dollar bill could go down there. I could. I could take it out of my pocket or write the check and say, you are going to such and such, and you're going to be fruitful, you're going to multiply, and you're going to do some good down there, and the kingdom of God is going to be added to because of this effort. And the ones that are brought into the kingdom are going to be taught. They're going to sit down and be still. Because somebody's going to systematically begin to explain my favorite topic, the indwelling Christ, what it means, why he's in there, what you should expect, how you walk in this way, and how you enjoy. So much about that, about living a life personally connected with God. They need to know that. Instead of just talking in tongues and casting out devils, woo-hee-ha-ya. How do you relate to your wife and you man, your fathers to those children? No oh, children have your... You've got weeks and months of teaching. Months of teaching. I'm not so sure it wouldn't be good for some women to go. I don't know how many blocks you all can carry. I'm just saying there's something about wanting to help people. Again, I have a problem with the commercial aspect of so much of missionary appeals and what they want and how they try to exploit people's poverty in order to get you to to give. And a whole lot of that money doesn't go to those people. But when it's in a local church with local connections, local men doing the work, learning to know people, letting people know you, maybe even getting one up here to tell us about what they're doing down here. I don't know, just a connection. It gives us a chance to be a part of something that's outside of us. Who knows? Maybe before we get our own building, we're going to have to help somebody else get theirs. Who knows? I didn't say that prophetically. I'm just saying, who knows? Another area of giving is probably the most talked about subject when it comes to giving the subject of giving in the church, probably be mentioned more, talked about more, in some places discussed or debated more. That's about tithing. We know they tithed in the Old Testament. Actually, they tithed before the law. And there was no law on tithing when they tithed, Genesis 14. And then the law was in the Old Testament. It was an ordinance, It was required. It was a law. And we'll start on that next week because I'll tell you this, a lot of people still believe that we are required to tithe. But I'll say this in closing. There is no part of the law that you can keep that'll make you right with God. Nothing. Everything in the law has been fulfilled and everything had a type Everything in the law pointed to something that's already been fulfilled, but it left us with a principle of how we should take that and respond to God. We'll talk about it next week. We'll begin with tithing, Old or New Testament. Amen.